Seven years. We've joked about being slow before, but that, like we've, we've said our logo should really be a glacier, like that would be appropriate, but like that sets a whole new standard for seven years to unite two churches. That's, that's special. All right. Uh, good morning. It's great to be able to be together. And for those who are uh, watching online, um, how encouraging uh, to hear Jenna say after a year, she's back. And we know that there's going to be a point where we're going to be able to all come back together again as one family. And we look forward to that. To meet together this way. And um, we continue in our uh, series from 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And this morning, Samuel Opie will be uh, reading the scripture for us through video. So let's listen to the word of the Lord. Verses 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Samuel. Um, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let's pray to that God right now. Oh God, we pray that you would open our eyes to behold your glory in the face of Christ. We pray, I pray that someone whose heart right now is unable to see that glory, I pray that you would let light shine and cause someone who doesn't see and know you right now to come into a saving relationship with you. I pray that you would draw near to us, Holy Spirit, and let us see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Amen. I want to ask you a question. It's the title of the message, Why Not Lose Heart? In the opening verse of our passage today, Paul says that he doesn't lose heart as he's writing to this church in Corinth. But why would he bring that up? <clears throat> why mention not losing heart. Well, surely the reason is because there are many reasons to lose heart and give up, aren't there? If you've been able to be a part of our study of 2 Corinthians, you've already seen in these first few chapters, he's had lots of setbacks, lots of afflictions, lots of opposition, both in the church and in the world. And this theme of not losing heart or being of good courage, we'll see this continue through chapter 4 and into chapter 5 as well. It's clearly something that he is thinking about. So I want to ask you this morning, what keeps you going when things don't go well? What keeps you going? 
When you set out to follow Jesus and then life gets hard, when you set out to follow Jesus and you have setbacks, why continue? Leslie and I have some friends who've been bringing the gospel to the Yao people in Malawi for over 30 years. Their recent email was entitled, Feeling the Pain of Setbacks. I so appreciated how transparent they were about this. They've, they've worked hard and they've seen wonderful things happen. And this is a completely unreached people. There were no Christians there. And they've seen many people come to faith in Christ and many discipleship groups get started. But recently they wrote, the leader in charge of all their discipleship groups left his wife, took a second wife, and turned his back on the Lord. Another leader physically abused his wife and refuses to repent. Another leader's wife, under pressure from her family, separated from her husband. Setbacks. What keeps our friends, Charles and Sue, going during times like this? What keeps you going? Maybe you're not a missionary in Malawi, but in the life that God has given you. What keeps you going when you're discouraged or you feel like giving up? What keeps you pressing on through big things like cancer or divorce? What keeps you from losing heart through the difficulties that come to us like a year of COVID and you feel lonely and isolated? Or maybe people that you love, maybe your own children aren't serving the Lord. Maybe you feel like a total outsider and an alien in the culture that you live in here, in your workplace, in your family. What keeps you going? Why not lose heart? It's a fact that we get discouraged, don't we? Sometimes we do feel like giving up. We have to think about these things. So what I want us to do this morning is let's listen to those thoughts of giving up. Let's see where they take us. And then let's stack those thoughts of giving up with reasons not to give up. The reasons to follow Paul's example and carry on with courage and boldness. So I'm going to do the message a little differently this morning. I'm actually going to start by giving you two reasons to give up. And if the power goes out or I have a heart attack before we get to the second part of the message, make sure this gets passed on so we don't stop with those two reasons, all right? So because the second part of the message is two better reasons not to give up. What I want to persuade you of from this text is that there are legitimate reasons to be discouraged in the Christian life, but there are far better reasons to press on following Christ. So why not lose heart? Why not give up on Christ and Christianity? Two reasons to give up and two better reasons to never give up. First, two reasons to give up. I think these are going on in the background, not only of this passage, but throughout this letter. And the first is this, it's leaders behaving badly. Look at verse two with me. Paul, this leader writes, we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Why is he saying this? I think if you were a member of this church in Corinth, you'd have been presented with some different models of Christian leadership, very much like we find ourselves in Christianity here today. Back in chapter 2 and verse 17, 
Paul says we, uh, that they are not peddlers of God's word. In other words, there were some who were peddlers of God's word. People were using God's word to make a buck, peddling it like it was something they could buy and sell. Here we see in this passage this reference to disgraceful, underhanded ways, people who practice with cunning or tamper with God's word. This is Christian, so-called Christian leadership, maybe I put it in quotes, that's really sneaky, it's deceptive, it's underhanded, it's manipulative, it's using people for the leader's good and not for their good and God's glory. It's tampering with God's word, it's, it's rearranging and reshaping God's word to make it fit their needs or to make it fit their desires or to make it less offensive and more palatable to the culture around them. These leaders some of whom have made their way into the church in Corinth, and we'll see that as we get to the end of the letter. These leaders are claiming to be Christians, claiming to express a Christian leadership, but they're not acting like Christ. And that can be discouraging, can't it? That sound familiar? You ever talk to somebody and they say, I'm fine with Jesus, but church is just a bunch of hypocrites. I'm fine with Jesus, but what about all these leaders that are scandalizing people all the time. How can anyone be a Christian when, fill in the name of a discredited leader, how can anyone be a Christian when this guy used his ministry to get rich or to sexually abuse women or he misused his spiritual authority to intimidate and wound people who trusted him? Sadly, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? Leadership was being misused in the first century, and it's being misused today. And I want to say this morning, this is a sad reality in our world. And if you have been personally hurt by such leaders, sinned against by such leaders, you may feel like giving up, and I can understand why. And if you're in that place this morning, I want to just reach out to you, and I want to say how sorry I am that you've had that experience. It was wrong. And what you're experiencing today is suffering. It's hard. And I hope and pray that God will meet you personally, even through this passage, so that you're able to press on and not lose heart or be derailed by this. Leaders behaving badly is one reason, it seems, Paul brings up the topic of losing heart. What's the other? Well, the other is people rejecting the gospel. Look at verse 3 with me, please. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world or this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. People rejecting the gospel can be so discouraging. I'm referring here to the problem of veiled hearts. Veiled minds. As Vince showed us in last week's passage, the default human condition is that of being unable to see the glory of God as though there's a veil, a covering, a, a, a barrier between that heart and mind and the glory of God. The reality is we each have a heart of darkness. We start our lives and come into the world with minds that are blinded to the realities of God as creator and king, as redeemer and Lord. And the God of this age, God's adversary, the devil, uses all kinds of empty philosophies, uh, 
and half-truths. Remember how the serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the garden? Half-truths and slander about God, sometimes all-out lies. The, the God of this age is still at work circulating all kinds of half-truths and lies today to keep people from following Christ and to harass and intimidate and seduce those who are following Christ. You know, maybe there's somebody that you've been witnessing to, sharing the good news about Jesus with for a long time. You've been praying for them for many years, but still they reject Christ. And you may think, wouldn't it be easier just to give up? Just pull back. Be silent about this. Stop trying. It's discouraging, isn't it? When people reject the gospel, why not walk off the job? When leaders behave badly and embarrass the rest of us, when leaders behave scandalously, why not just pull back, go into stealth mode, be silent? These are important questions you live long enough, you'll have these questions. If you don't have compelling answers to these questions, you're in trouble. If we are unrealistic about the very real reasons for discouragement in our lives, and then don't have better reasons for hope and faith and courage and perseverance in Christ, then we're in a dangerous place. And if you find yourself in that place this morning, God loves you. And he loves you so much that he's setting 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6 in front of you as a lifeline to give you hope and courage. Make friends with this passage. And if you're not in a place of discouragement today, this passage can help you help a friend who is discouraged. And this passage can prepare you for a time of discouragement that inevitably will come in your life. The reasons for pressing on to follow Christ are overwhelmingly better than the reasons to give up. Let me give you two overwhelmingly better reasons to press on that emerge from this passage. And the first is this. Look at verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry. What? Having this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have this ministry by the mercy of God. So we don't lose heart. What is this ministry? Do you know that you have a glorious ministry? Do you know that you have a hope-giving, discouragement-defying ministry? You, Christian brother and sister, you have this ministry. What is it? What is this ministry? Step one to hope and perseverance is to consider the ministry that you have in Christ. And we've been hearing about it in these last couple of messages. We are ministers of a new covenant, we learned back in chapter 3. This covenant is powered by the Holy Spirit. This 
work is now being done by the Holy Spirit, not writing on tablets of stone, Ten Commandments, but writing the new covenant on our hearts, rewiring us from the inside out, putting the Spirit's work and law and goodness in us so that we can have new desires and new power to know and love and serve and follow God. So that, as we heard in the end of the message last week, each one of you, brothers and sisters, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That glorious ministry is yours in Christ. If you're a Christian, you have a more glorious ministry than Moses had. If you're a believer, you have a more spirit-empowered ministry than Deborah or Elijah, a more transforming ministry than John the Baptist. Why is this new covenant ministry so glorious? Listen, consider where we were without Christ. Consider the human condition. Every human being is a glory seeker. We are created by God and we are hardwired to search for meaning and purpose in our lives. We long to be part of something transcendent, something gloriously bigger than ourselves. And we spend our lives hunting for that significance and that purpose. And we try on one thing and we try on something else. And if we're honest, those things never deliver what they promise and what we know we long for until we see the glory of God in the face of Christ and we say, that's it. You eat this bread and you will never be hungry again, Jesus says. The Rolling Stones are still singing, I can't get no satisfaction. But this glorious new covenant ministry satisfies the heart eternally. We need to talk to ourselves about these things. Soul, we need to say. Soul, would you walk away from this glorious ministry? Really? For what? No. We have a glorious ministry. There's good reason to not lose heart. Second reason is this. Verse six, look there with me, please. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Christian, disciple of Jesus, brothers and sisters, think about what God has done in your life. Those baptisms into the water, coming out, old, made, new. Think about the before and the after. Paul is taking us back here to Genesis chapter 1, to the creation. There was darkness over the face of the deep. God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. The light shone out of the darkness, right? And that light is still shining. Think about now what's happened to you. Before you were a believer, there was darkness over your heart and your mind. And someone came along and told you this good news about Jesus. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a roommate. Maybe it was 
a church that you wandered into, however it happened, you heard this good news of Jesus and this miracle occurs. God says, let there be light, not in the whole of creation, but in your darkened mind and heart. And there was, when you heard the gospel and you turned with repentance and faith, you discovered you were changed on the inside and lit up with the glory of Christ on the inside. Now we can see Christ as he truly is, not just a good teacher, not just a moral example, not just a miracle worker. He is, we see in verse 4, the image of God. What does that mean? That means that in Jesus, the invisible God is made visible. Do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to know how merciful and wise and just and holy and loving and gentle God is, look at Jesus because he is the invisible God made visible. He's the image of God and now we can see him for what he is. And we not only see that, but we, verse 5, proclaim not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord. We don't just know something about someone out there. We know him as Lord. What does that mean? Think about this. Think about the before and after. The essence of sin is to live independently from God. That's what the serpent offered Adam and Eve in the garden. You don't need him. You can get wisdom on your own. You don't need to follow his commandments. Make up your own. The essence of sin is to live independently from God. We listen to the lies of the God of this age and we try to live life on our own terms. But now, that's the before, now the, a miracle has occurred and instead of seeking to live life independently from God on our own terms, we say, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. You're my king. You're my ruler. You're the one that I love and trust and serve and submit to and follow. You are the Lord and I love it. This revolution in your heart is so dramatic, it's like a new creation. It's like creation all over again. Let there be light in your heart. Let there be life, eternal life in you. And so Paul writes in 5, 7, chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. When Jesus rose from the dead, when he came out of that tomb, the new creation began. The old is passing away. This age is coming to an end. The new age has already begun. Jesus is our pioneer making the way to the new creation. It's begun in him and it's already taken place in your hearts. And what began in your hearts will one day be fulfilled in your bodies and in the universe. I once walked in darkness, but God said, let there be light in Mark's heart. And there was. Are you dark on the inside today? Call out to God for the light of Christ. He is mighty to save. Turn from your independence. Turn from living life on your own terms and come under the lordship of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, 
I am here to remind you this morning that if you are a Christian, it's because God turned on the floodlights in your heart. This isn't just something that happens to somebody else. If you are a Christian, it's because God has turned the floodlights on in your heart so that you can see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Hear this. This is so vital. The remedy to discouragement, to losing heart, is not just trying harder. That may come naturally instinctively to us. It's not the remedy. Perseverance includes not only effort to keep moving in that direction, which is important, but we must have vision. The remedy to discouragement is looking in the right place and looking at the right face. What every Christian needs. I don't know all that's going on in your life, but I know this about you. You know what you need today? You need a fresh vision of Jesus Christ. Our perseverance depends on it. Our hope depends on it. Our mission depends on seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ. So I ask you this morning, can you see it? Can you see it freshly? Have you got strategies to see and re-see the glory of God in the face of Christ, especially when you're discouraged, especially when you're losing heart, especially when you have setbacks, especially when you feel like giving up? Do you know what to do? How do you do this? How do you get a fresh vision of the glory of God in the face of Christ? Well, one thing is you sing. You sing. I can't tell you how many mornings I've started my time meeting with God with this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. I won't sing it for you because I don't want you to all have to leave. But that's what I do privately. Sing Christ-exalting songs. Pray. Jesus says, ask, it'll be given. Seek and you will find. Ask for a fresh seeing of the glory of Christ. Seek this. He will give it to you. Come to worship services like this. The Lord's Day is a wonderful opportunity each week to be renewed in our vision of Christ, in our songs, in our fellowship, in the preaching of the word and prayer. Most importantly, oh, most importantly, Get your Bible open. Get your Bible open. This is the primary way we are renewed in seeing Christ. Get your Bible open and ask the Spirit to show you the glory of Christ. When I read my Bible, some days are great and some days are like, eh, okay, we'll try again tomorrow. Right? I do my best. I trust the Lord. But I, this week, as I've been meditating on this passage, I've been praying, Lord, specifically, help me see the glory of Christ. I want a fresh vision. Before I get out of this chair, I want to see something that's going to stick with me and give me life and hope and courage today 
Something of Christ. So I, yesterday I read Exodus 3. I prayed the Spirit of God. Help me see the glory of Christ. Exodus 3. Familiar story. Moses is out in the desert. He's a shepherd. Sees this bush. It's burning. It doesn't get burned up. What's going on? Walks over. Takes a look. Here's a voice. God starts talking to him out of the bush. There's this interaction that goes on. And through this, Moses is commissioned to go and lead Israel out of Egypt. There's no Jesus. Jesus is never mentioned in that passage. How do you see the glory of of Christ in Exodus 3. I was thinking about it. Oh, okay, burning bush. God, who, who shall I tell them sent me? Tell them I am sent you. The eternal, self-sufficient God. And Jesus comes on the scene. You know what he says? Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is eternal. That means he will never be unavailable to lead Love, serve, protect, and guide you. Moses, you know what he's going to do? He's going to lead Israel out of slavery in Egypt. The captives are going to be set free. You know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to lead his people out of slavery to sin and death. They're going to rise to new lives and be completely set free from the power of sin and one day from the presence of sin as well. Going to live eternally, set free from death. Moses is going to lead Israel on a dangerous journey through the wilderness to the promised land. Moses, because he's not perfect, he's going to fail and he's not even going to get to go into the promised land. How about Jesus? He's going to lead his people through the wilderness of this life. He's going to blaze a trail through death into eternal life and into the eternal city where he's right now making a home for his people so that we can come and be in the Father's house. He's blazing the trail. He's going first. And we're following. Moses was great. Jesus is so much greater. Egypt. Those people are going to suffer plagues. And the tenth plague is the firstborn in every household will die. Incredibly, God's firstborn son God-man, Jesus Christ, is going to suffer cruel suffering and he's going to die. And that sacrifice will be our substitute so that we who deserve plagues, condemnation and death can receive justification and righteousness and life. Oh, church, behold your God. Can you see the glory of God in the face of Christ? Can you feel the joy and the hope and the courage rise when we can get him into view? Brothers and sisters, we are in a fight. Your neighborhood is a battlefield. Your school, your workplace is a battleground. Of course, there are going to be setbacks. Of course, there are going to be reasons to lose heart. Jesus said we would have trouble in this world. But fear not. He's overcome the world. That's the one we need to see. Here's the simple but profound message from these six verses. You ready? When you feel like giving up, Look at Jesus. You're like, really? 
Are we paying this guy to tell us this stuff? It's that simple? Yeah, really, it's that simple. When you feel like giving up, look at Jesus. Let me say it a different way. The more clearly you see Jesus Christ, the less likely you are to give up. That's how it works. Last thing. Do you believe this all applies to you? Think about this. Do you believe God has entrusted you, not the person sitting next to you, not a pastor or a missionary, do you believe God has entrusted you with this glorious ministry? Do you believe this? If you believe this, you're on the path to not losing heart. Hang on to this ministry. And if we believe this, if we believe that God has entrusted us with this glorious ministry, we won't keep this message for ourselves. We'll look for every God-given opportunity to announce this good news to people who live in darkness, but to whom at any moment God might say, let the light shine through the proclamation of the good news of Christ. Let the light shine. And brothers and sisters, let us go into our week pressing in to see freshly a vision of our glorious risen Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. And let us go into our week listening to the Spirit's prompting to share this good news as ministers of the new covenant, the only pathway through whom people can move from darkness to light. Amen? All right. Would the band, please come up. We're going to sing Behold Our God. And as they do, you're here in the auditorium with me, please stand. And I want to just put in your ears and hearts once more, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in, hear this, our hearts. Wow. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Behold your God. Let's sing.